Lazarus, come out. With these three words, Jesus inaugurates the completion of God's divine plan. With these three words, Lazarus will indeed come out of the tomb, still bound in strips of cloth and his face covered. With these three words, the authorities will find Jesus' power frightening enough that they will call for his death, a death that will, in a great cosmic irony, result in Jesus' glorification and the resurrection. With these three words, Lazarus, come out. Jesus will begin once again, once and for all, to defeat God's great adversary. No, not Satan, as we're often led to believe, but death. And Christ's eternal life is not some end times dream, but is a present that Christ himself begins with these three words. Which is why we gather today in celebration of all saints. We gather to remember and memorialize the saints who have passed before us because we know with all our hearts that they live. That because Jesus defeated death, we all will live in eternity with him if we believe. Uh But belief is trickier than it may seem. I'll get back to that in a second. But first, allow me to put today's gospel from John in, in context. This is the final sign in John, and Jesus has used each one to reveal a little bit more about himself. In John 6, Jesus gives sight to the blind man to show that he is the light of the world. In John 9, he gives bread to reveal that he is the bread of heaven. And here, he gives life. He gives life to show that he is the resurrection and the light. All of the gospel has been moving toward this moment, toward this event. It is the climactic act that will set the rest of the gospel in place. Leading to Jesus' death and resurrection, to his appearance to Mary Magdalene at the tomb, the disciples in the upper room, and Peter and his gang at the Sea of Tiberias. And we catch Jesus just as he comes upon his great friend Mary, and she falls at his feet. She is crying, as are many of Lazarus' friends around her. And Jesus, in probably his most fully human moment in all the Gospels, does something amazing. He weeps. Some would say he weeps because of the lack of belief of Mary and the Jews, but I think he weeps because of his great love for Lazarus, his friend. A clue is even given in the following verse, when some of the Jews see him crying and they say, see how he loved him. In this weeping, Jesus legitimizes for all the sorrow we feel at the loss of a loved one. These banners above us still trigger sadness, no matter how recent or distant is the loss. I lost my mother almost 18 years ago, and I still feel sad when I think about her, taken too soon. We know in Jesus' weeping that he is with us in our pain. Our faith is not an escape from the pain of life but a sanctification of it, making it holy, a knowing that in our darkest, God is still there. The Old Testament reading from the Wisdom of Solomon says so much, says as much. Their departure was thought to be a disaster, and they're going from us to be their destruction, but they are at peace. Their hope is full of immortality. After crying for Lazarus, Jesus becomes, in our translation, greatly disturbed. Other translations say Jesus became angry, and I like that. 
He becomes angry not because of the disbelief of those around him, but because he comes face to face with his true adversary, with death. The whole gospel has been leading to this moment, and as if in a pre-fight warm-up, Jesus gets angry with death, with Lazarus needing to die. And then Martha comes back in the story. And I love Martha in the Gospels. She's the voice of reason, the one who in Luke keeps the household running while Mary lounges at Jesus' feet. Here she's concerned about the smell of the decaying body, and Jesus tells her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And she does believe. And a few minutes later, she sees her brother Lazarus coming out of the tomb. She sees the glory of God in Jesus. Martha's voice is the voice of the community of John, frightened, in despair, some 60 years after Jesus' death. Martha's voice is our voice today, worried about earthly things, cowering in darkness, when Jesus is telling us, if we believe, we will see the glory of God. So just what is belief? The Wednesday Book Study Group has humored me these past couple of weeks, and we've read together C.S. Lewis's famous sermon, The Weight of Glory. It's one of his most famous works and a seminary favorite. We read it twice during my time there. And it was written in the darkness of World War II England. Lewis opens the sermon with a lengthy and somewhat confusing discussion of why Christians should lead a Christian life. If we're all about salvation, about meeting Jesus in the end, then why not lead a sinful life and at the final moment repent, confess our sins, and prepare for the pearly gates? Lewis calls this kind of belief mercenary belief, that we believe only to gain salvation, not about our life here, that this is a kind of a waiting room for heaven. He says the reward, salvation, is not connected to the effort that goes into it, or lack of effort. He then uses the idea of studying Greek to show how ongoing belief, belief as a way of life, is rightly resolved in salvation, that it's the true reward. I admit this excursion into ancient Greek and Xenophon and Aristophanes and their ilk had the Wednesday book club understandably up in arms. It's that confusing. So I'll use what may be a more relevant example. As many of you may know, I've been learning to play guitar for the past three months or so, and, and while I'm years away from getting up here and playing in front of you, I can hear that I'm getting better. Every day it's starting to sound more and more like music. And I'm rewarded like that, as is Mark and the dogs, but anyway. It's the reward on the way to the final reward, which may or may not be me getting up and actually playing in front of you. I won't put you through that or commit myself to that. But you get the idea. I'm rewarded on the journey as well as the destination. They're connected. And that's also how belief works. If we believe, if we live a Christian life, you know, love your neighbor, be gentle and kind, that sort of thing, then we'll find the gradual reward of peacefulness, of gaining a deeper spiritual connection with each other and with God. We'll keep increasing and will eventually result in our salvation. Belief is not a one-time decision, but a way of life. If we believe, we will, like Mary and Martha, see the glory of God. We will see our brother, Lazarus, walk out of the cave. So today, on this festive day of all saints, we celebrate the many, many saints, living and dead, 
that make up this blessed community of St. Peter's. I look out and I see the banners remembering our friends who passed only momentarily from our sight. We gathered around the columbarium to remember the saints who are with us on this very holy ground. And we know, we'll know, we'll know with our hearts that they are with us and will be with us. For these first things are passing away, as the Revelation reading tells us. So we look up at the banners, the many remembrance of those we love, and we may feel a moment of sadness. And we know that Jesus is with us in that sadness, that he weeps with us. But like Jesus, we also look up and say, Father, I thank you for having heard. I know that you always hear me. And in time, we know that we'll see our father or mother, our sister or brother, our friend or loved ones, even our beloved pets. We'll see them walk out of the cave. And we'll hear Jesus say, Unbind him and her and her and him and them. Unbind them and let them go. And they'll come running into our arms. And we'll embrace our celebrated saints and sit with them and with Jesus and probably some angels too. We'll sit with them all in the city of the new Jerusalem. We'll be joined with them all in an eternal celebration of saints. Joined with them all forever. Amen.